Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Sonic's new look, Anthem 2.0, Modern Warfare's Battle Royale, Google Stadia's launching tomorrow, and a recap of everything Microsoft announced in London during EXO 19. But I want to start it off talking about Death Stranding. Last week, I was able to finish Death Stranding, couldn't stop playing it, couldn't put it down. Actually, did pick up Jedi uh, Fallen Order, Star Wars. I was not able to even start it because I couldn't stop playing Death Stranding. I just really, really wanted to get to the ending. The story just really started to pick up. I wanted to really just get through it. I wanted to see where it all led up to. And the final cutscene definitely is two hours. People who reviewed the game were not lying about it. But it's kind of a mix between cutscene and interactive. That sort of makes sense without spoiling it. It's not just a full two hours of you sitting down and watching uh, cinematics. There's a little bit of interaction in there. But I, I felt like it really does a good job of kind of um, tying up loose ends, bringing everything together, kind of strengthening any theories that you had about what was going on in the world um, throughout the game. I think it does a better job than, you know, let's say, for example, Metal Gear Solid 4 did for um, in, in order to bring up something previous that Kojima did. Um I thoroughly enjoyed Death Stranding. As I said, it's kind of a game that I couldn't stop thinking about. I really, really loved the Strand system, being able to um, build new paths and, and quicker ways using zip lines and things like that to make deliveries and knowing that whatever you put into the world, someone else might benefit from it. I just felt like that was a very, very unique hook to the game. I really, really enjoyed the story. I think... Um, the way that I looked at it when I was playing the game, especially looking at the cutscenes, is it kind of felt like technology finally caught up with what Kojima has always been trying to do with video games, where we've always known that Kojima has had this cinematic approach to video games uh, from playing Metal Gear Solid, but it's almost like the technology wasn't there yet. And with Death Stranding and the Decima engine, it feels like he finally has the tech in order to get across what he's trying to get across. You know, with this engine, you can truly see an actor kind of coming through. You know, when during the cutscenes, when they're getting really close to the actor's faces, you see the nuances. You know, you see it in their eyes, the grimaces, the small movements that we make with our faces when we're trying to convey different emotions. It kind of, it really, really comes across through this engine. And because of that, some of the performances that he got, the the actors were just, it was just really, really good. Um, and it really, you realize why getting professional actors and not just voice actors um, brought the cutscenes and the, and the characters to another level. Because one thing I found interesting about Death Stranding is that every character, Die Hard Man, Heart Man, um, you know, Mama, all of these characters um, are really well-rounded. You re you really spend enough time with each one in order to get their backstory and really fully understand what that um, uh, person kind of is all about. Um, I think that was really, really good. And then throughout the time I was watching the cutscenes and even playing the game, like as I said before, I was playing it on just a regular PlayStation 4. It just got me thinking of the next generation, PlayStation 5, the next Xbox. And just look at this engine and say, man, this is what we're getting out of PlayStation 4. You know, I can't imagine what, you know, 
cutscenes and, and, and story direction is going to be for the next generation is going to look just even better than this. But this is one of the best looking games that I've seen with a tech that is actually necessary. You know, if, if we think about a game like L.A. Noir and the tech that they built for that game, the tech was necessary for them to um, accomplish what they were trying to accomplish. And that's how I felt with the Decima engine and Death Stranding. And as I said before last week, like the next Horizon Zero Dawn is probably going to be mind-blowing when it comes out for the playstation 5 but um you know i i just i i really enjoyed it and equally i understand why some people uh wouldn't <laughs> or look at it and see like well this is just kind of a boring game because at the end of the day you have to really be in love with the loop same thing with a game like pokemon if you don't like that loop of catching training and battling you're gonna find the game boring it's kind of the same thing when it comes to death stranding you have to really understand the type of the game the type of game that you're really about to get into now one thing that uh an update from last week the kojima translation that i spoke about pretty much throughout the entire episode last week according to ign this was uh not translated exactly correct or the way it should have been translated it was a bit of a mistranslation kojima merely stated according to ign quote americans are some of the biggest first person shooter fans and death stranding isn't that sony then retranslated the quote as quote in america there are a lot of fps fans maybe those fans are saying this is like a different game and are not rating it very high and this is why once again i just really don't like um game review numbers because it doesn't reflect the majority of the you know there are a lot of times like it doesn't really drastically impact um sales because especially for a game like this it was the reviews were very divisive as i said a major outlet and giant and ign gave it a, i think a 6.5 or 6.9 something like that um but it doesn't seem to really be affecting sales very much it, death stranding was one of those games where um, a review is not going to change your mind. If you kept up with the game and saw everything, uh, it said to yourself, this really doesn't look like my type of game. And all of a sudden you read your favorite publication. They give it a nine or five or a 10. I don't see that being enough to sway that type of person. I already had it set in their mind that this is not really for me, but the sales for death Stranding has act have actually been pretty strong for a new IP. It debuted at number two in the EME double sales chart. That covers digital physical sales in Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Asia. We haven't seen U.S. sales just yet. Game Data Library confirmed that Death Stranding sold 185,909 copies, making it the best Japanese launch of a new IP this console generation. And it's the best IP launch since the first Dark Souls and Wii Fit, particularly just uh, in Japan. Those are pretty strong numbers for a new IP. I think the issue that Death Stranding is going to run into is legs uh can it sustain the this explosion of sales from the very beginning both death stranding have a very very strong holiday amidst all all of this competition that's 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 coming forth especially the fact that it's still only on one system it won't be on pc until next year so we'll have to wait and see i mean looking at the game uh this game could not have been very cheap to manufacture or uh, the, the the budget for this game must have been pretty big especially with the fact that it has actors there's a lot of um song licensing with low with the band low roar which honestly when you look at uh kojima going out to get these actors going out to get almost felt like the entire discography of low roar there are other bands in there but low roar is really the band and their music is used throughout the game 
all of those choices that were made, while they probably ballooned the budget a bit, they were really necessary, in my opinion, to, in order to convey the story that he was trying to get across. Um, but like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm looking forward to finally getting into Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order this week. The reviews for that game have been really strong. Sales are looking really strong for it. It's it's good to see, especially within the last two years, single-player games kind of, um, I don't want to say making a comeback, but more and more publishers and developers are realizing that we don't need to have a game as a service or um, fill a game with microtransactions in order for it to be a success. Uh, so it, it's it's really good to see sales um, going strong for single-player games. The other thing I want to talk about before I get into the news from last week is Pokemon Sword and Shield, which just launched last week. Um, there's obviously been a lot of news for Pokemon Sword and Shield ever since June of this year when it debuted the gameplay at uh, E3 and there was the hashtag, you know, bring back the National Pokedex and all that stuff. I mean, amidst all this, I want to call it bad press, but amidst the minority, because it was it was just a loud minority of people that um, said that the game looked awful, uh, they should have put every Pokemon in the game, just just the the minority of complainers out there. I knew for a fact it would not affect sales because, I mean, this is Pokemon. Pokemon is just too strong to, uh, to go up against that. Um, and it really didn't. It seems that the Pokemon Double Pack is still performing really, really well despite the $120 price tag. Um, the one-day sales have already beaten the two-day sales of Pokemon Let's Go, Eevee, and Pikachu. So we haven't gotten official numbers yet, but to no one's surprise, Pokemon is still doing really, really well in terms of, of, uh, of sales. And I want to briefly talk about the two sides to this argument about Pokemon and the Pokemon Company. Uh, for those that haven't, I had an episode of the show called Pokemon Bait and Switch, where I really went into the fact that Pokemon has slowly become what uh, I consider a bottom line company, which is it's really all about the profit. It's not really much. It's not really anymore about delivering a next generation experience for this IP. I think for Pokemon, and especially with Sword and Shield, it really came down to how can we could deliver a new Pokemon game, but not increase the budget in order for us to maximize profits that's the way that pokemon sword and shield was built and pokemon it's not like pokemon took a gamble with this decision it's not like they sat around and said well guys why aren't we really innovating or or um, really really utilizing the power of the nintendo switch uh that wasn't really a gamble to them because they were very very confident as a company that the game is going to sell no matter what and i think that's what people need to realize in terms of the two sides is understanding what the other side is defending, but then at the same time, understanding their decision to still purchase the game, for example. And I think the Pokemon double pack is a, is a great example of that. I think when it comes to a lot of fans that every time Pokemon comes out, they buy both games. Most of the fans don't even really stop to think about the fact that they're pretty much buying the same exact game twice at launch. And it's funny because anytime someone would buy the double packs of the older Pokemon games for 3DS, for example, I would usually ask them, you know, why, why did you buy um, both of them? Why did you buy X and Y? Why not just buy one of them? And 
I rarely ever got the answer of, well, it's because of the differences, because in Y, I can only get these Pokemon. In X, I can only get these Pokemon. Usually the answer that was given was, oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta get both of them, you know? it's Pokemon has trained their customers in a way where it's like, if you're, if you don't get both of them at launch, you're not a Pokemon fan, you know? You're not, um, you're not a true Pokemon fan. You know, it's it's almost like this sense of pride for a lot of Pokemon customers to go out there and get both of them at launch. Now, the big argument against uh, what, what Game Freak did with Pokemon Sword and Shield was the fact that at E3, when they showed the game and they announced that not every Pokemon would make the cut, um, they said that they made that sacrifice in order to focus on uh, animations and, and really giving focus to the Pokemon that are currently in Sword and Shield. Now, point blank, black and white, that was a lie. I mean, it's, it's a blatant lie. You could see throughout the development in terms of uh, watching footage the months leading up to the game, even before the game actually released, that was just a blatant lie. There's, You could just tell. It's not like the animations are, are, are next level. They're still the same old animations. There's, it's still like... Uh, Characters still turn like it's this is the original Resident Evil on PlayStation, right? It's still it's almost like tank controls. They still exist on a grid. I think I saw a a, a moment in someone's gameplay where they were climbing a ladder, and when you climb a ladder in a game, the entire game just freezes. For example, nothing is really moving. There's still like a lot of pop in. For example, so that was just a blatant lie. They said that um, every Pokemon had to be rebuilt for Pokemon Sword and Shield. That's been proven to be a lie now, as people have data mined it and looking at the models, comparing them to 3DS, it's obvious that they reuse models, um, which is something that to me, just visually looking at it, it's it's, I mean, it, it's obvious to to me. I I don't need to, to 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 look at and count the pixels on the Pokemon to realize that they recycled animations, recycled. Um, assets from the the 3ds games which is not abnormal in 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 video games you know it's 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 a very very high cost to just kind of throw everything out um from a previous game in a series um the issue is more that pokemon just blatantly lied about it and i was very surprised that it, it kind of seemed like large publications weren't really talking about this they were really really talking about kind of going back to Pokemon and saying, well, you said these things, but now the game's actually out. It doesn't really look like um, uh, those things were actually true. As I said before on the show, I think Pokemon was right to, to cut down on the amount of Pokemon. I think that was the right decision. But I feel like in the development of Sword and Shield, uh, Pokemon had a choice. It was either uh, really, really use the power of the Nintendo Switch to uh, take this game to the next level. And in my opinion, I think this would have been the perfect opportunity for them to sort of uh, relaunch Pokemon, kind of rethink how many of those, whatever thousand Pokemon they've already created should make the cut and, and continue to go forward into the next generation of Pokemon. Um, and then find a balance between people who've been playing Pokemon since Red and Blue and people who just picked up Pokemon because of Pokemon Go or Pokemon Let's Go on the Switch, for example. But they made the, the budget-conscious decision. They said to themselves, you know what, there's no need for us to really uh, innovate because we're going to sell this game anyway. And and to them, that's just the amount of profit. There, there's no way that there's there aren't animators that exist in Game Freak that look at this game, look at the Nintendo Switch and say to themselves, well, I finally have the power to do this, 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 and this. There's no way that those animators weren't excited um, 
in, in terms of being able to make battle animations just look a lot better. You know, make actual collision happen with, with, with the Pokemon. There's someone within Pokemon is saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that. You know, we're, we're trying to deliver a game and maximize profit. In order for us to do that, we're not going to turn this game into something different. We're not going to... Um, it's not going to look like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, even though there's no way that they're not capable of doing it. The issue is that the people who play Pokemon will forever defend it. And in my opinion, the people who play Pokemon and buy Pokemon Day 1, they don't really care about um, the way the game looks. They don't care about the way the game performs. As long as it's not completely broken, as long as they have access to new Pokemon, a new story, new characters, they're happy. You know, and that's who Pokemon is is catering to. They're catering to the majority, not the minority of people that want the game to to look better. Uh, maybe want the game to be open world with um, Pokemon really, really, truly existing in their in their habitats, for example, instead of looking super stiff and and floating in the air. And um, but like I said, that's the minority. Now, Pokemon doesn't really. So this is not kind of weird, but Pokemon doesn't really serve their fans. You know, they serve the dollar. You know, they they don't look at their games anymore in terms of what can we do to really blow this thing out and give people a, a true next generation experience. Um, and and it and it shows in the Pokemon Double Pack. Like, I mean, there is a cost to creating the same game twice, right? Even though there are slight differences in, 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 in characters in each game, gym leaguers in each game, Pokemon in each game, um, there's still an increased cost for, for you know, testing and having quality assurance done on two separate titles, having to get marketing and art done for two separate titles. But the cost that they put into it is obviously outweighed by the amount of people that still choose to purchase both. Back in the day when it was blue and red, Having two versions of the game sort of made sense. It made people physically come together to do trades and things like that. That's not really the case anymore because of the internet, right? But Pokemon is still doing this. Pokemon could completely cut one game, deliver one amazing Pokemon Sword, for example. Um, but they do. They they still launch two games because once again, of the people that buy two games at launch. Like if I can get $120 out of someone rather than just get $60 at, at launch as a company, I'm going to do this. And like I said, it's those decisions that they make that it's just about the profit for them. And at the same time, people who love Pokemon are still satisfied. They're still happy with the product. Now, we won't really find out what Sword and Shield was until next year uh, because Sword and Shield could have very much have been a 3DS game that was in latent development. They found out about the Switch and they ported it over to the Nintendo Switch. That would really explain a lot of the recycling that they, that they did. Um, but we won't find out until the next game. If they, if they announce another game next year, which is looking likely that's probably going to be a remake. Uh, rumors are pretty strong that it's going to be a remake of Diamond and Pearl. Um We'll we'll find out when that game comes out. Is it gonna be a top to bottom next generation remake, something that is really worthy of the of the Nintendo Switch game, or is it 
just going to be very, very similar to Sword and Shield, then that's like undeniable proof that what I'm saying is right, which is Pokemon is just looking at maximizing profit uh, at the end of the day. And I mean, can you blame them? I mean, it's still making money. It's like if you ran a coffee shop and you have a cup of coffee called the Caramel Nitro or whatever, and every day that you open, there's a line out the door. And your distributor comes to you and says, hey, we can outsource these new beans from Columbia. They're a lot richer. It's going to give your coffee a much richer taste, but it's going to be an extra dollar per pound. If I'm running the coffee shop and I'm trying to maximize my profits, I'm not going after that new coffee. Even even though I know it will give my customers a better experience because it, it'll have a richer taste, for example, it's going to cost me more to bring it in. And the current coffee that I have, I'm still having lines out the door. So until the day that the lines out the door stop and I need something new to bring those people back, I'm not going to go pay an extra dollar per pound on those beans until my line, until that crowd starts to thin out. And that's exactly what Pokemon is going for right now. Until the say, the sales are really, really, truly affected, they're not going to really go out and create something that they consider next generation for example so regardless the game is going to sell it's it's looking like it's trending really really well and you know nothing but but great success to to the pokemon company i mean they're they did they're doing it i mean if your company your job is to make as much money as possible and it's it's uh it's pretty obvious that that's what they're doing but if you're a pokemon fan look don't 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 defend what Pokemon is doing. You know, just defend in a way of look. This is Pokemon. I'm happy, but don't go off and say, "Oh, you know how ridiculous it is to rebuild all these models," or "You know how ridiculous it, ridiculous it is to put new animations in this game," or blah blah blah. Like the company has grossed over ninety billion dollars, the biggest uh, IP in the world in history. Like. They have the money to do it. They just choose not to. And I commend them for it. Look, I'm, I'm all about making that money, baby. So if that's what they're all about, then you get nothing but thumbs up from me. That's cool with me. Now, moving on to uh, our, our stories of the week. Sonic the Hedgehog is number one. And uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, they finally revealed his new look in the trailer. Looks absolutely amazing. Now, the Sonic the Hedgehog film, from its inception... Is not something I was really particularly um, thinking about until Jim Carrey was announced as Dr. Robotnik. I was like, okay, now I'm interested. And even when the first trailer came out, no matter how awful Sonic looked, Dr. Robotnik and Jim Carrey playing him got me super excited for the film. And that's just because I grew up on Jim Carrey. I grew up on The Mask, you know, Cable Guy, Ace Ventura, this classic Jim, Car- Jim Carrey taking a character um and, and cranking the volume up to a hundred, you know, and and uh, when I saw what he did with Doctor Robotnik, I'm just like, oh man, I'm I'm all in for this. So, the fact that now in the new trailer we get a Sonic the Hedgehog that just looks good, <laughs> that looks like you know a creature from another planet rather than like a humanoid version of an alien or whatever, um, it just looks absolutely amazing i mean you you realize that wow these guys really made the right choice now the film launches on february 14 2020 it was originally set to launch this month we found out after the trailer was released that tyson hess who was the artist for sonic media was actually recruited to head up the team that was recreating 
um, Sonic the Hedgehog. So it really shows that uh, Paramount and the people who um, are producing the film um, really understood what the fans were saying. And and sometimes when it comes to you know social media explosions and cancel culture nowadays, sometimes it's it's really just complaining. It's a lot of people complaining just for the sake of complaining. And the fact that obviously you, you, no matter what you do, you can't make everybody happy. And even when this trailer was released, there were some people like, Oh, you know, it's not exactly what I wanted, but it's okay. Like Jesus, man, like it's proof that you, you just can't make everybody happy. A lot of people will complain that his eyes aren't connected the way they are in, in, in classic Sonic. And it's just like, like these decisions are made in order to come to a compromise that's going to look good to people that don't really know Sonic and are just looking for an interesting family film to take their kids to, and then people who are Sonic the Hedgehog fans. I think it was, a, it was, a, it was an amazing compromise um, between kind of both both sides. And uh, the tra- even the trailer itself, whoever was the original editor of the first trailer, I mean, hopefully that person was fired for thinking that Gangster's Paradise was a good choice for the film. Uh, excuse me for the trailer and um you know even the music that was chosen in 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 in, in this this second trailer the energy the cuts the the trailer was much better edited um it used much better footage from the film and that's even outside of sonic um being recreated and just looking 20 times better and some people were looking at this is that it it set uh kind of a bad precedence um for things going forward where having a company kind of cave into pressure um, might put a little bit of more pressure on other companies going forward. But at the end of the day, when you get it this wrong, <laughs> I think the decision that they made was right. Um, because it's not, um, they the, the, the film would have flopped, just hands down. If it would have released it in its original form and released it this month, it would have flopped 100%. And now, obviously, the budget just increased, but I feel like with what they're delivering now, they're creating a lot more energy when it comes up to um, the release of of the film. And I can see a lot of people saying, okay, now I definitely want to see this um, compared to when it was originally show, which just just looked downright awful um, in its original form. So I think they made the the right decision when it came down to it. And uh, honestly, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I definitely do want to see it when it comes out on February 14th. Uh, next story we're going to talk about is Anthem, Anthem 2.0. Um, if you've listened to the show, you've 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 heard me um, throw massive shade at 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 Anthem and anybody who, for whatever reason, is still playing this game. I I do not, for the life of me, understand why people are still playing Anthem when there's so many other amazing games to play uh nowadays but um this comes from jason schreier at kotaku according to three people familiar with the plans for the last few months ea and bioware have been quietly working on a complete overall overhaul of anthem internally dubbed anthem 2.0 or anthem next there are plans to change the game's entire structure overhauling the loot the quest the social aspects of the game the difficulty the progression system the world map um looks like a complete top to bottom refresh now, no distribution model has been set. There could be a, a couple different things they do to it. It could be a series of updates similar to what No Man's Sky did. Um, it could be a game-changing ex- expansion like what Destiny did with Taken King. It might even be a re-release of sorts, but if you already have the game, you probably won't have to pay for an upgrade or it won't be as 
excuse me, as much as something that um, would be charged for someone getting it again at retail. One person working on the project said, quote, we spent a few months just tearing it down and figure out what needed to change fundamentally. And we've been rebuilding for another few months since. Um, Anthem was one of those games that um, is one of those few experiences that as I played it, I said to myself, man, I, I really wish this game was better. Um, it was painfully obvious when the game first launched that it just wasn't ready to launch, plain and simple. And the story that Kotaku um, had put out a few months ago just talking about the Discord within um, Bioware and EA, the fact that the Frostbite engine was not working, the fact that there were massive delays, um, there were a lot of issues with um, during the game's development, just proved that when the game launched, it just wasn't ready. There were a lot of things in the game that even as I was playing it, just, just minor things that you can tell were just pushed back and were, were set aside because the game just needed to hit that launch date that they set. Now, the game actually sold really, really well um, because I think it was a game that a lot of Bioware fans were looking forward to. Um, the game presented itself well, in my opinion, in, in, in terms of trailers and gameplay. The flying aspect of the game just felt really, really good. Of everything in the game, that's the one thing that they got right. My only complaint was that they should let you do it for longer. It was really annoying that as you're flying, your suit... Uh, heats up and you have to land and, and cool off the suit and all this dumb stuff like when when an aspect like that feels so good you should be able to to do it for a lot longer than they allowed you to um but anthem to me once i finished the campaign i realized that this this was um not going to be supported um by the company just everything just looked bad you know like a lot of the systems that they built just weren't working the missions were extremely repetitive the mechanic built in order to gain new missions was just awful there's a lot of walking around there's a lot of being stuck in menus um the game just plain and simple didn't work the loose system was broken and it just really didn't seem like bioware was was I want to say interested, but it looks like Bioware and EA had so much on their hands that it didn't really look like they were going to be up in the game very much. And that's why I pretty much immediately sold it after I finished it. And it was, it was the right decision to, to do. Right now, you can get the game for like $20. There's rumors that GameStop is going to have it soon for like 10 bucks, or e even $5 at Black Friday is a rumor that's popping up right now. Um, it's just it's just not worth it, even at five bucks, because it's a it's built as a game as a service, and at its core, it just doesn't work. So, um, seeing them refresh the game, I mean, could do a. I mean, we'll see what happens when it actually ha when it actually does happen. How well it's gonna do? Um, they've done a lot of damage to, to kind of that name to, to to Anthem, and I feel like if they're not going for that free to play hook, I just don't see many people being interested in coming back uh, to Anthem unless it's literally top to bottom rehaul. And it sort of sounds like that's what they're going for. To me personally, I, I don't think there's anything that they can do uh, to get me to come back into the game unless this overhaul was, was free to start or free to play. I just don't see myself kind of um, going back in, in, into Anthem. As I said, there's so many other games that are built as a service that just do this a lot better if that's really the type of thing that you're into. I'm not really into it. Even the Division 2 that I played a lot, 
I haven't really played in months just because there are other experiences I want to play. You know, I, right now I finished Death Stranding. I want to go into Star Wars. After Star Wars, maybe it's Shenmue 3. I, I don't want to keep just going back into the same game just purely to get new loot. That's kind of not my cup of tea. So um, we'll, we'll have to, to wait and see. The other thing that uh, Jason Schreier confirmed is that the next Mass Effect is in very early development, which means that we probably won't see that for a few years. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what Bioware does with Mass Effect. I think Mass Effect is still uh, Andromeda was obviously did not do very well, but the um, the IP of Mass Effect is still strong and it's still worth going back to and probably hopefully delivering a, a new experience. Um, that is worth it but hopefully what ea has learned with anthem and with the success that we're seeing from star wars hopefully what ea is learning is that the frostbite engine just kind of isn't for everything like it looks like it's been successful for battlefield but when it's applied to any other games especially what we see with anthem it looks like it just doesn't work and star wars was built on unreal engine so I mean, we'll see if Anthem, this overhaul is, is so top to bottom that they're even going to use an entirely new engine. That'd be crazy. But hopefully EA sees going forward that, you know, maybe something like Mass Effect, for example, should exist on an engine that the team is a lot more comfortable working with. And it doesn't seem like that engine is Frostbite. Our next story is Call of Duty Modern Warfare, a battle royale, which has been rumored for a few months now. The details have been leaked. Someone data mined the files and filed details on an upcoming battle royale mode for Call of Duty due out in early 2020. Now, um, the default option set the player count at 200. Usually with battle royales, I believe it's 100. There are modes for solo, duos, and squads of four. Actually, before I go through this whole list... Uh, obviously none of this is is confirmed it looks like a really really strong rumor but none of this is actually confirmed um teammates can be respawned once per match using respawn tokens where a teammate must drag your body to an ambulance once that happens this enters your teammate into what's called the gulag answers them into a queue uh the gulag at some point will close in a match i'm guessing once um the player count starts to shrink and shrink at some point you won't be able to revive using this gulag feature but while it's active the gulag is basically a prison camp where players have a chance to get back into the match by winning a 1v1 fight players in the gulag queue can spectate and even place bets on who will win while waiting for their turn to fight you can place bets using plunder which is a currency players can earn by completing missions and limiting enemies you can also spend plunder on items at box locations that convert them into xp points by depositing plunder into atm machines at banks once a player enters a bank an alarm sounds alerting other players nearby there's also a mechanic where a jailbreak can occur and all and kick all players in the gulag back into the match Missions include eliminating a specific player, capturing a domination point, collecting scavenger crates. Loot also will come in different levels of rarity. Um, actually, all sounds really, really good. I mean, the one thing about the battle royale genre is how important it is for anyone that's really trying to do something in battle royale. Um, how important it is for them to bring brand new mechanics into the game, and more importantly bring mechanics that are spectator friendly whether it be for streaming or be for um, people who are currently playing that game so um, having a, a separate spectator experience for the gulag for example is actually really in my opinion is really really smart the entire mechanic of the gulag is actually i think it's pretty cool it's not 
you know, m- most of these games like Apex Legends and Fortnite that have uh, introduced a respawn mechanic, it's simple. I, I, I take your token or your card to a certain point and bada bing, you, you, you respawn. But now it's like, no, you have to fight in order for you to get back into the match. And I think it, it um, really ups the competitive factor within the game. So I think that's actually a, a, a brilliant idea um, for Call of Duty to do. Now, the one thing I look at in terms of this Battle Royale is I'm hoping that um, it's not um, tied to Modern Warfare. I kind of personally expect this and hope for this to be a free update for anyone who owns the game. But I think it would be good to see if Activision makes the Battle Royale portion a free download across systems. Um, you know, Modern Warfare is the first Call of Duty has cross-platform play. And they did talk about um, doing battle passes, doing a free and premium stream for battle passes. For those that don't know what a battle pass is, uh, every, free, every few months you get access to a battle pass. You complete certain objectives, you know... Um, Take over 100 control points, kill 100 players with a knife, for example. Um, and those give you points. And at um, at some point, once you get those different achievements, you unlock new items such as skins, gun skins, for example, things like that. New call signs and, um, you know, banners and things like that for your character. And then usually they do a free stream, which is completely free for you to accomplish. Or they do a premium stream where you pay 10 bucks for the battle pass for that for those few months for that quote unquote season. And um, you get access to exclusive skins and things like that that you would only get by purchasing that battle pass. Now, if Microsoft, excuse me, not Microsoft, Activision were to go ahead and make the Battle Royale portion of this game free, similar to something like Apex Legends, where anyone can download it and play, it, I mean, it's just, it's just smart at the end of the day. I mean, you'll, you'll be able to get um, uh, Call of Duty, you'll be able to build up that base of Battle Royale a lot quicker than making exclusive to people that have bought or already own Modern Warfare. Um, You'll be able to get people into Modern Warfare mechanics and maybe encourage those people to upgrade to the entire Modern Warfare. So maybe you download the the Battle Royale portion of the game and then there's like a special introductory offer to upgrade. So maybe you make the Battle Royale free and then, hey, for 40 bucks, you can upgrade to the entire Modern Warfare experience that gives you access to regular multiplayer and the campaign, for example. I think, uh, as I said so many times on the show, this is just where revenue is going. It's, it's not about the price of you getting into the game. It's once I get you into the game at whatever price that may be, free, 10 bucks, whatever it is, um, I'm going to work hard to get you to spend money. That's really the revenue stream that a lot of these companies are going for. So I think it would be interesting to see Call of Duty do this. Um, What I just went over in terms of this being free was not part of the league. This is just kind of my take on it, my view on it. And I think it is something that Activision um, should do for for Call of Duty. Um, But we'll we'll have to wait and see to see if any of this is actually uh, even real. Um, Briefly, before we get to our story of the week, which is the XO19, I want to talk about Google Stadia, which launches tomorrow. Google Stadia released their launch lineup, which was um, a total of 12 games, which is, I mean, come on, man. That's pretty laughable with the fact that we've been talking about Google Stadia for the entire year now. Uh, the launch lineup is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Destiny 2, The Collection, Guilt, Just Dance 2020, Kine, Mortal Kombat 11, Red Dead Redemption 2, 
uh, Samurai Showdown, Thumper, and then three Tomb Raider games, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider Definitive Edition, and Tomb Raider Definitive Edition, which was the OG one, the first one of that relaunch of Tomb Raider that released a few years ago. Um, this is laughable. I mean, come on. We've been talking about Google Stadia for, for the entire year. They've been um, kind of blowing smoke up their own ass in terms of how amazing Google Stadia is. No box. You can start quickly. And, you know, when you think about something that's not physical, as a consumer, you're thinking, well, I'm going to have access to like 100 games as soon as it launches. I mean, look at Apple Arcade when they launch. They launch with like 100 games, for example. Even when Game Pass first launched, it was it was it launched with a really, really thick library. Um, the fact that Google's been talking so much crap throughout the, the entire year and this is what they show up with. It's pretty embarrassing. Now, what's funny is that uh, Sadia launches tomorrow just yesterday, actually late yesterday. Google added a few more titles that are going to launch tomorrow. Attack on Titan 2, Final Battle, Farming Simulator 19, Final Fantasy 15, Football Manager 2020, Grid, Metro Exodus, NBA 2K20, Rage 2, Trials Rising, and Wolfenstein Youngblood. So it's going to be a total of 22 titles launching tomorrow with the system. For those that don't know, yes, you have to buy each of these titles separately. It does not work like Game Pass. We can just play whatever you want. And then they revealed that by the end of 2019, gamers will be able to get access to Borderlands 3, Darksiders Genesis, Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2, and Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Now, the individual price of these games, if I'm not mistaken, have not been uh, revealed yet. And that's one thing I'm really, really looking forward to because some of the, these games are pretty cheap on other systems. Assassin's Creed Odyssey you can regularly get for 20 bucks. Uh, Rage 2 was just added to Game Pass. Uh, Metro Exodus has been on Game Pass for a while now. Uh, Wolfenstein, Youngblood, that'll probably be retail, which is like 30 40 Borderlands 3, for example, on Black Friday, we already know it's proven it's going to be 30 bucks. How much is it going to be on Google Stadia? Is it going to be the full 60 bucks? It'll be interesting to see how Google prices these games in order to remain competitive. Uh, my guess right now is going to be full price. Now, during a Reddit AML, AMA, Google also confirmed all the features not coming to Google Stadia tomorrow, despite being revealed in the initial announcement. Shout out to Kotaku for putting all of this together. Um, now, uh, for those that didn't um, hear that podcast, I had an episode of this podcast called Google Fadia, where I talked about kind of it's seeming a lot of things not being um, confirmed for launch. And I was right. There's a lot of things that are not coming to launch now. Stream Connect, State Share, and CrowdPlay are not coming to launch. State Share is where you can uh, share a certain point in the game where other players can uh, click on that link and be able to pick up exactly where you left off. And, be, you know, you can kind of do challenges with people, blah, blah, blah. Um, Stream Connect was the whole thing of people being able to um, you being able to have multiple video streams on your on your stream at the same time, uh, so you can see what your friends are are looking at. You can kind of see their screen while still playing yours with no slowdown. And then crowd play was the queue that you can have lined up so that people can play a game with you. Um, Andrei Doronichev, who was Stadia's director of product, says, quote, I expect the first game with Stream Connect to launch by the end of the year. And rumors are that that game is going to be Ghost Recon Breakpoint. I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to play that. Uh, the Quote, the games that support Stadia and CrowdPlay will be released next year. Uh, their achievement system, the service will still record when you hit various milestones, but you won't actually get notifications for them or see them display anywhere until, quote, shortly after launch. The ability to use existing Chromecast Ultras to play a game. 
um, will not be there at launch. Only the Chromecast Ultras that ship with Stadia controls will have the updated firmware required to stream games. We will be updating the existing Chromecast Ultras over the air soon after launch. Family sharing where multiple people in the same house will be able to share games will not be on the service until early next year. And my personal favorite, Buddy Passes. So Buddy Passes were also delayed. That was included in the Founders Edition where if you have a Buddy Pass, you can give it to someone so they can get free, th- uh, three months of Stadia Pro. Um, but those passes will actually be sent out until weeks after launch. Uh, everyone who pre-ordered Stadia will get their coach to sign on to the service starting on November 19th. So you'll be able to play if you have a Pixel phone or in your Chrome desktop browser with a keyboard and mouse. However, the packages containing the controllers with Chromecast will have staggered shipping sent out in the order pre-orders were received. Now, I pre-ordered mine on the very, very first day. Um, so I've actually confirmed I will get mine this week. Um, but I'm actually not going to use it. Uh, I had originally pre-ordered Stadia in terms of like, hey, it'll be something cool for me to test and try out. But to be fully honest, I'm not really sure if I'm actually going to use it once it comes in. I might just swipe it. Uh, um, we'll see what happens. But it's just not something I'm very interested in beta testing Google. Beta testing for Google. Google has this this terrible um, history and I, I, I remember Google Glass where they were asking people to beta test Google Glass and I was like okay cool man I would, I would definitely love to try that out I think AR is kind of the future um, and they're like cool we, we would love for you to beta test for us um, it'll just cost you like a thousand dollars and I'm like wait hold on a second so I have to pay you to beta test your product and that's exactly what's happening with Google Stadia you're basically paying Google $130 to beta test um, their service um, Google's rollout was just really a mess. Um, tomorrow definitely should have just been a continuation of their beta from Project Stream. They should have just put like three or four games on there, let everyone be able to to, to access the service using a Chrome browser. And then next year, next March, for example, at that point, then you launch Stadia Pro with the controller, and then you'll be able to launch at the same time as the free stream. Um but but Google just wanted to just kind of go right into it, and um, it's just not the right way to do it. Um, I've been speaking about Stadia since since they first talked about it, which is why wow, this sounds really cool. Until Microsoft and Sony match you feature for feature, then Google Stadia is a com- is complete garbage, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Google Stadia is going to be blown out the water next year once microsoft launches their project x cloud sony hasn't really talked about what they're doing with streaming but um there's no way sony's going to go next generation without having a streaming service so um once both of these companies um detail what their streaming services are then google is just going to be useless i mean they're not going to have a killer title i mean even they themselves confirmed that when they're not going to have um uh, a Stadia exclusive title from one of their studios for a few years, right? Um, by then, Microsoft and Sony are going to grow their their clouds. Uh, so, um, I just wouldn't. I, if I'm a if I'm a consumer, I just don't have any faith in Stadia sticking around. So, I mean, to each their own. If you want to go out and buy it, but I'm not paying $130 to beta test. Uh, something for somebody. Uh, Gwen Frey, developer of Stadia launch puzzle game Kind, told GamesIndustry.biz, the biggest complaint most developers have with Stadia is the fear that Google is just going to cancel it. Nobody ever says, quote, oh, it's not going to work or streaming is in the future. Everyone accepts that streaming is pretty much inevitable. The biggest concern with Stadia is that it might not exist. 
which is which is a genuine concern. And if if Google really wants to grow this fast, they're going to have to go the Epic Games route, which is getting a bunch of exclusives. But if I'm if I'm a company, you're going to have to pay me a lot of money for me to make my game state exclusive because you have almost a zero install base right now. Um, we'll have to see how fast they're able to grow it, especially next year once they launch that free that free stream in order for you to stream games for free that you purchase. Um, but it, it it's going to be impossible for them to convince any developer like, hey, make your game exclusive to us. They're really going to have to cover a lot of money that I'm going to lose by not launching on these other systems that are confirmed to be gamer friendly like Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. And the fact that they have a really, really huge install base. So, you know, Google, like, as I said before, it just really seems like they didn't really take this seriously enough. And they should have stopped and thought about this a lot longer um, than they did when they announced it. Uh, For the final story of the week, we're going to talk about XO19. First and foremost, once again, this format is still absolutely terrible. Um, It kind of went with that inside Xbox format. Microsoft really, really needs to stop doing this. It, it just feels like a really long infomercial um, when they announce uh, these these different announcements. It's, it's just the pacing is weird. At one point, one of the hosts was like, she was like getting like a temporary tattoo, and uh, there were like shots with people in the crowds, and um, there were a bunch of mistakes made. Um, so it just ruins the entire pacing of the whole thing. Top to bottom, they just have to rethink this format. Uh, I say this every time Microsoft does one of these things. Um, just just get it done. Um, so there were a lot of great announcements. Rare revealed their next original IP, which was Everwild, which looks absolutely amazing. Can't wait to see more of that game. Obsidian revealed Grounded, which was a sandbox survival game where you play as a kid shrunk down to the size of an ant. It'll hit Xbox Game Preview next spring. That one looks actually kind of cool. Uh, West of Dead was a kind of isometric twin-stick shooter starring Ron Perlman. It looked actually pretty cool. And Open Beta is out now on Xbox One if you want to try it. Sea of Thieves revealed the next free update, which is called the Seabound Soul. Rust was confirmed coming finally coming to consoles in 2020 even though this was shown through xo19 it's not exclusive to xbox it is launching on ps4 at the same time uh cart rider drift is coming to xbox one and pc for those that don't know i've known about this game for a while but weirdly enough it's not on cell phones here in america or at least on iphone it's not uh it's a huge huge esports game in asia i know it sounds kind of weird to have a cart racing game as an esport but it's actually really really huge in south korea um and it goes along with over 380 million players so it's a huge huge game closed beta for it's coming to xbox one and pc beginning december 5th definitely something i would i would love to try it is free to play uh bleeding edge is confirmed coming to march 20 uh, coming at um xbox one uh march 24th 2020 that's just a few days after doom eternal and animal crossing new horizons um i actually was able to try bleeding edge during their play test uh it's uh, uh, plain and simple this is really not a good game (laughs) um the unfortunate thing about bleeding edge for the type of game that they're trying to deliver it's very very important for the characters to just be amazing you know when you think of a game like league of legends when you think of a game like overwatch uh, these types of games that really, really rely on people connecting to to different heroes and characters, even fighting games, for example, um, they have to be very, very strong design wise and 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 their attacks and um, their mechanics have to be very, very interesting. And in this game, they're just plain and simple, just not the designs are just 
awful, man. And when you play the game using them, it just it just doesn't really come across as fun. And the one thing I thought about was like, man, when this game comes out, it's probably not going to do very well. Then I remembered that this game is coming to Xbox Game Pass. And I realized that Bleeding Edge was made for Xbox Game Pass. This is a game that thrives on Xbox Game Pass because this is a title that at retail would probably die on the store shelves, especially coming out in March, a, a, a month that's so, so packed right now. And on store shelves, this game would just suffer. But on Xbox Game Pass, I can actually gain legs. Like you can see a lot of people that are subscribers of Game Pass saying to themselves, oh, you know what? I definitely would give this a try. It's part of my subscription. I'm going to give it a try. And that's just the easiest way to convert people is letting them actually try the game, right? We, we live in a world now where demos don't really exist like they used to, right? So getting someone to try a game is, is going to be the best way to sell it because they can instantly know if this is the game for me or it's not. And then from then on, hopefully you can grow up grow enough of a base where bleeding edge can convert customers into paying customers by either uh, outright purchasing the game through game pass and using that discount or microtransactions at, at any point if they decide to put those in there so it's weird because bleeding edge was one of those games where when i played it, i was like man this game is not going to do very well once it releases you could just tell uh, but with game pass it actually might gain a very very good audience which is uh, great to hear uh planet coaster confirmed to come to consoles xbox one uh summer 2020 is also um launching day and date ps4 they announced a new game called tell me why an exclusive narrative adventure from don't not entertainment the studio behind the beloved life is strange franchise all of tell me why's chapters were released summer 2020 the game follows identical twins allison and tyler who is a transgender man um this is um the first game to have a a a, a, um, a uh a starring character be a transgender man so it's uh, really really cool to see that representation across games so um uh big ups to that that company big ups to microsoft um for taking a gamble on this type of game and, and releasing it and once again this game is going to be on game pass which is great uh then microsoft talked about project x cloud uh they confirmed that more than 50 titles are entering the project x cloud preview i actually got an invite i just haven't had the time to actually uh test it just yet they're expanding support to more bluetooth controllers including the dualshock 4 which is pretty cool and game pass game pads from razer um in 2020 they confirmed their project x cloud uh, will be expanded to new markets. And just to confirm, once again, Project X Cloud is the name of their uh, preview. Th this actual cloud system doesn't have an official name yet. Um, they will also add the ability for gamers to stream Xbox games that they already own and will add game streaming from the cloud to Xbox Game Pass, meaning that if you're the part of the Project X Cloud preview, you'll be able to stream any Game Pass game, which is pretty amazing. Um, uh, before I move forward, this is how you do a beta. Just if anyone from Google is listening, this is how you do a proper beta. So the fact of the matter is that the, the, the beta for Project XL is completely free. You have access to 50 titles. They're going to add all these new features next year, and it's still going to be free. Whereas right now, if you're uh, on Google Stadia, you have to pay $130 entry price in order to even uh, test out um, Google Stadia, and that's not on top of the fact that you have to pay for each game individually. The only game that's going to be free at launch is going to be Destiny. So once you get bored of that, you either have to buy something else, or let's say you have access to no more games. So 
Um, and, you know, Stadia is launching with 22 titles. Once again, you have to buy individually. Project xCloud is 50 titles entering that preview. So this is how you do a beta. It's pretty embarrassing to see something free supersede your product that I have to pay for. But that's where we are right now. A new title called Drake Hollow was announced. Uh, looks like a multiplayer game where you can build and defend uh, villages. You can gather supplies, build networks, find and rescue drakes in the wilderness, raise them, defend them from attacks. Uh, looks pretty cool. I really like the, the art style. Halo Reach is coming December 3rd uh, for PC and Xbox. A lot of people are concerned that um, by the time it launches, uh, 343 will not be able to fix this issue. They have an issue with Halo Reach on um, PC where it caps at 60 frames per second, which I have to agree is kind of unacceptable for a PC game. And it doesn't look like they'll be able to fix it by launch. So that's a little bit disappointing. Uh, free-to-play game Crossfire X was shown. This game looks amazing. It looks really, really good. The graphics look amazing. They finally revealed it. This game was announced at... Um, E3 this year. For those that have never seen the original Crossfire, it looks like a really, really awful Counter-Strike. And that's because the game is more about mechanics. It's not really about graphics. This game looks really, really amazing. It looks something that would be appealing to a lot of shooter fans. So um, I think it should do really, really well. It's only going to be, in terms of console, it's only going to be on Xbox. I don't think it's coming to PS4 unless it's a time exclusive. Um, but it is free to play. It'll be out next year. A game called Last Stop was revealed. Minecraft Dungeons is coming April 2020. Kingdom Hearts 1.5, 2.5, and 2.8 are coming to Xbox One along with Kingdom Hearts 3 demo so a lot of announcements for xo19 but the biggest things for xo19 was just their continued support of the x cloud um and then game pass so for game pass any game pass ultimate members get one month of ea access three months of discord nitro and six months of spotify premium this is actually uh kind of grandfathered in so if you already own game pass ultimate you have access to all this free stuff um it's not just people who just sign on to game pass ultimate that's pretty cool uh they added rage 2 lego the ninjago movie remnant from the ashes the talos principle age of wonders planetfall and age of empires 2 definitive edition to xbox game pass so they're on there right now um holiday 2019 you're gonna get the witcher 3 dark Sagas 3 halo reach my friend pedro life is strange 2 and the red strings club are coming to game pass and then in 2020 they're adding yakuza 0 kiwami 1 and 2 so this is the first time that yakuza is going to be on on xbox pretty amazing that for the first time it's coming to xbox and they're actually going to put it on game pass it's really really good by the end of 2020 final fantasy 7 8 9 10 10 2 12 all three of the 13th and 15 will be in game pass they'll be released uh sequentially so the first release even though it's not dated it's going to be seven then eight then nine and all that's happening in 2020. And then they announced a bunch of ID at Xbox games, including Street of Rage 4 and Skatebird are also coming to Game Pass. Once again, there is just no better value in gaming than Game Pass. The fact that next year they're also going to add um, uh, streaming, free streaming for Game Pass is no additional cost through Project X Cloud. Wherever you are, you can access your Game Pass library. Um I mean, amazing. The fact that Game Pass Ultimate is $15 a month. I mean, there's not, there's just not really, a, there's just not a better deal in gaming than Game Pass. And um, it's the funny thing about XO19 as I was watching it is it shows the complete difference between Sony and Microsoft's um, uh, kind of approach to gaming um, for the future. Microsoft realized something. 
uh, in the middle of Xbox One's release that they're losing the hardware game. And they realize that, you know what, we really, really have to start investing in software. And Microsoft started by acquiring a bunch of studios for Xbox Game Studios. And then they followed that up by investing a lot of money into game, game Xbox Game Pass and investing a lot of money into their Project X Cloud. And Microsoft's positioning right now going into the future is um, you don't have to buy an Xbox to be a part of Xbox. That's really their principle going forward. And I think that's what's going to really, really um, expand the Xbox brand going into next year. Um, Game Pass is just growing and growing and growing. And it's almost gotten to the point where if you own an Xbox, if you don't have a game, if you don't have Game Pass by now, it's it's like absurd. They reintroduced the dollar deal. So for one dollar, you get Game Pass Ultimate for three months. Microsoft is really getting to the point where they're making it hard, harder and harder for you to just say no, even just to give this a try and, and continuing it. You know, I pay for the one dollar deal. I have Game Pass until next May. Um, but I usually always subscribe to gold, $60 a month. And right now, even if I don't pay a dollar, I'm going to continue paying for game pass $15 a month. As I said, there's just no better deal in entertainment right now. Um, when it comes to the amount of value that you're going to, that you're getting out of Xbox game pass. And the fact that they just continue, continue, not just adding their own, um, software day one, you know, the fact that all these games that we just heard about, um, uh, whether it's Grounded, whether it's Everwild, whether it's Halo Reach, the next Halo that's coming out, um, Age of Empires 2 that just came out. These first-party games are just going to be there in Minecraft Dungeon. They're just going to be there day and date, included in the purchase of Game Pass, along with all these amazing third-party games. You know, Rage 2 that just came out this year is there, for example. Uh, of 3 being there. Friend, my friend Pedro, The Witcher 3, um, being there by the end of the year. Yakuza, which is the first time it's coming to Xbox, it being part of Game Pass. Um, Microsoft is really saying, doesn't matter what screen you play on, you're going to be able to access your Xbox stuff. And um, this investment is really, really going to start to pay off for them next year. When you realize that once Xbox Scarlet comes out, you can buy the box if you want. But Microsoft is banking on, hey, you know what? You pay for your Project X Cloud, or you know, um, I don't know if there be a fee for it. They haven't really talked about it. Um, or it's like, hey, you know what? You don't want to spend five hundred dollars for Project Scarlet. That's cool. Just buy the game that you want, and you'll be able to stream it from wherever you want, and it's going to look just as good because we're going to set up servers exactly like Google is doing. There's no way that Microsoft is not going to match them feature for feature. So. Um, what Google, what, what Microsoft is building is just the smart way to go about it. It's not about hardware anymore. It's not about losing money at launch anymore. It's about um, being able to access your games wherever you go um, and not being able to have that large point of entry to having that box inside of your home. Um, it's just good. It's good to see what they're doing. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to... <laughs> this generation that's coming up from Microsoft because they're just kind of doing everything right. They, they did, they, they didn't take the loss. They, they learned their lesson kind of reminds me of what Nintendo did with the Nintendo Wii U where they realized like, okay, this failed. And, um, 
Nintendo looked at it as, well, what, what lessons can we learn from this loss uh, to go forward for the Switch? And we see how successful it's doing. It looks like Microsoft is doing the same. This week's hot releases, November 19th, Football Manager 2020 for the PC, Golem for PS4 VR, Shemu 3 is finally releasing uh, for PS4 PC, Narcos Rise of the Cartels, PC, PS4, November 21st, it comes to the Switch, the 22nd comes to Xbox One. For a licensed game, this actually looks really, really good. It's like a an XCOM kind of experience. It looks really good to me. WRC8 is finally coming to the Switch. November 20th, we have Still There for PC and Switch. Also PC and Switch, November 24th. Excuse me, 21st, Black Future 88. November 22nd, Lost Ember PC, PS4, and Switch. And Sid Meier Civilization 6 for PS4 and Xbox One. Now it's time to wrap it up. Here are the stories we weren't able to get to. Mark Wahlberg has been cast as Sully alongside Tom Holland's Nathan Drake in the upcoming Uncharted film. What makes this hilarious is that in 2010, almost 10 years ago, Mark Wahlberg signed on to play Nathan Drake in the film. Robert De Niro was supposed to be his father and Joe Pesci was supposed to be his uncle. Shows you just how long this film has been in development that 10 years later mark Wahlberg is now being cast as sully i think tom holland is actually going to do an amazing job as nathan drake um the film is still on schedule to begin shooting in 2020 netflix tweeted that the witcher has already been renewed for a second season ahead of its december 20th premiere this this um show is is gaining so much traction i think it's also because a lot of um viewers are looking for that hole that gap that game of thrones has left and it looks like you know some people are turning towards like the watchmen but it looks like the witcher is trying to be that show that's going to fill that gap um and it just looks really really good whether you're a fan of the books fan of the games or just a fan of just fantasy shows it looks it looks really really good so it's cute it's cool to see that netflix has enough um confidence in it that they already renewed it for a second season nintendo mobile game animal crossing new horizons is adding a monthly subscription called the pocket camp club starting november 21st for five dollars a month players can appoint one lucky animal as a caretaker uh and get some extra help around the campsite or Receive fortune cookies and store your furniture and clothing items in warehouses. It sort of seems like they're two separate costs. It looks like it's $5 to get that lucky animal and another $5 to get fortune cookies and store your furniture. Um, Some people online are looking at this as, hey, this is proof that the Mario Kart subscription is working. Actually, it's not. Uh, there's no way that this just sort of happened a month after the release of Mario Kart. This is this has definitely been something that's been in development for a little while. This is once again DNA, I think, taking a little bit more control of Nintendo's mobiles and kind of showing Nintendo, hey, these are things that we can do in order to get you some extra revenue. Um, so this isn't really proof that um, that pass for Mario Kart is working. I think this is more just experimentation from DNA and Nintendo to try to just get more money from this this mobile initiative that they've been going on. Um, because it seems that a lot of people are downloading the Nintendo games but aren't really spending too much money afterwards in comparison to what other companies are able to pull on their mobile games. So, uh, I mean, I don't understand who the hell sees something like this and, and thinks that this is a good value. $5 a month. Um to get an animal as a caretaker and get some extra help, like that's to you is worth five dollars a month. Like, 
to each their own. As I always say, I always extend this opportunity to anyone out there in the world that's listening. It seems that a lot of you are not really good at spending your money. Give it to me. I'll spend it better. The Game Awards are set to take place December 12th. Nominees are set to be announced tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And one game that will be shown during the awards will be Gears Tactics. Finally, this game was announced such a long time ago. It's going to be good to finally get a look at it and see what it looks like. Um, so once again, tomorrow... Um, We'll, we'll find out who the nominees are tomorrow, November 19th. And what's probably a first, the review embargo for Shenmue 3 does not lift until November 21st, but the game releases November 19th. Super duper weird. I don't think I've ever heard of an embargo that lifts after a game is released. Um, I know a lot of people look at this as, oh, well, this is obvious that uh, EastNet is expecting the reviews for Shenmue 3 to be awful. And in my opinion, I think Yu Suzuki, when he first set out to make Shenmue 3, there's no way that everyone involved in that entire process, even Sony who invested in it, was expecting this game to review very, very high. Um, this game was not built for a new audience. It's not. This game was not built... Um, uh, to be, you know, this huge flying off the shelves when they release. This game was always built as fan service, and it looks like it from Shemu 3. Shemu 3 is like, it's like that B film. It's like that cult classic film where it's not going to make a lot of sales, but there's going to be this dedicated crowd of people playing and talking about it. That's exactly what's going to happen with this one. Uh, just yesterday, Capcom announced Street Fighter Champion Edition, which includes everything released for Street Fighter V so far, including 40 characters, 34 stages, and over 200 costumes. It'll release February 14th for $29.99 or $24.99 for current Street Fighter V players to upgrade. Excuse me, owners to upgrade. Gil was also announced as the newest fighter. And a possible stage shown in the trailer may hint at the addition of Rose from Street Fighter Alpha being added to this game. Uh, this makes the utmost sense. Capcom is really, really trying to stretch Street Fighter V as far as it can go. I still don't think there's a need for another Street Fighter VI, and this just reinforces that fact. But I think within the next two years, we're going to see a sequel to Street Fighter. It's slowly kind of getting to that time, or it'd be good to get another Street Fighter out there. Um... But this is good to get people back into the game that maybe uh, missed Street Fighter and all these additions that they've been doing throughout the time. Uh, adding Gil, I thought was actually cool. I absolutely hate Gil. I definitely remember the struggle that I went through uh, in Street Fighter 3 trying to defeat that guy. To me, the next the next character they, they have to add is Odo. I want Odo back in the game. For those that don't know, Odo was in Street Fighter 3 Third Strike. The guy was amazing. Um, you know... Uh, pretty much um, removed one arm because the guy was so nice. Fights with just one arm. I, I love that character. I really hope they put him back into the game. Uh, recently claims that the next Half-Life game is a VR experience called Half-Life Alex, coming March 2020 that will be revealed during the December 12th uh, Game Awards. Um, yeah, this is pretty funny. This rumor has actually been going on for a while now that the next uh, Half-Life game is going to be a VR experience. Um... I definitely see a lot of this announcement happening. A lot of Half-Life fans being disappointed and then going out and buying a VR just to play this game. That's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, shout out. This is, <laughs> I guess this is coming, becoming a, a, a weekly uh, tradition on Camp Koji shout outs. Shout out to Ewok who left Twitch and will stream exclusively for Mixer. Continue to see this max exodus of, of Twitch streamers going to different platforms to secure that bag. Um, 
a lot of people have been talk asking me about, um, you know, what's going on with Twitch? Why haven't we heard about Twitch signing any exclusive deals? Usually those deals are actually kept quiet by Twitch. They don't really make a big deal out of it. Um, but Twitch, honestly, all these signings that are happening, Twitch doesn't really care. They're, Twitch is, is a platform built on quantity, not quality. Um, they don't really, really care about um, kind of curating Twitch and making sure they have uh, different personalities. The fact that they have hundreds of billions of hours being watched uh, every year, um, it doesn't matter to them. They know that they're going to continue to get new streamers coming in. And the revenue of quantity in terms of viewers and streamers using the servers will over always supersede quality. So for them, there's really no reason for me to be signing exclusivity deals with anyone um, at this point. So you know, honestly, Twitch just doesn't really care about anyone being taken away to these different services. Thank you guys so much for joining me here at Camp Koji today. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I am Joel, and I will see you guys next week.